Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Before we get into the Week 2 preview between the Indianapolis Colts and the Minnesota Vikings, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, all your favorite podcasting platforms. Turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. Leave a like and drop a comment if you're listening on YouTube. We would really, really appreciate it. As we now take a look at this Week 2 matchup as the Indianapolis Colts host the Minnesota Vikings. Both teams enter this Week 2 matchup at 0-1. The Vikings are coming off a 43-34 loss to the Green Bay Packers at home, and the Colts are coming off a 27-20 loss on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have two teams both entering this season with playoff aspirations, both starting off 0-1, both teams looking to avoid that nasty 0-2 start. Should be fun and a big game for both teams early in the 2020 season. Big game for both teams, man. I mean, the Colts definitely have to find a way to get this done. I think they're going to play a much better game this week. The Vikings are a little beat up. The Colts are a little beat up. It's it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting game, as most NFL games are. But I really like the fact that we're coming home, and I think that the team's going to be highly motivated to play well, especially the defense. So you know, Sunday one o'clock. Big game, both teams. Somebody's going to get a win. Let's hope it's the Colts. Yep, but let's start off on the offensive side of the ball for the Minnesota Vikings and their matchup with this Colts defense. A Minnesota offense who scored 34 points last week, led by quarterback Kirk Cousins coming off a 19-for-25 game with 259 yards, a pair of touchdowns, and one interception as he leads the Vikings into Week 2. The Vikings have a lot of really, really talented guys on offense. The guys that stand out to me when I look at this roster, when I look at their offense, Dalvin Cook had a solid game last week, 12 carries, 50 yards, two touchdowns. That's somebody that the Colts are absolutely going to have to stop in this game and limit, not let him get in the end zone. Obviously, everybody knows about wide receiver Adam Thielen, big-time player, six catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns last week, another big-time performance from him. Our secondary is going to have to know where he's at at all times because he will make them pay. He is a big-time player, very underrated in the league, but everybody knows how good he is that follows the NFL. And then at tight end, you got a couple guys that are very, very talented, veteran Kyle Rudolph and then the young guy Irv Smith Jr., kind of wild cards in their offense. But, guys, you have to know where they're at and you have to pay attention to. So they've got a lot of talent. And then you look at the rookie to watch. For me, it's wide receiver Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU, was a big-time part of that offense last year with Joe Burrow in Bayou Country. So the Colts have their hands full with this offense. They're definitely going to have to come to play. It's going to be a challenge. There's a lot of really solid players on this offense, so they're going to have to be locked in and ready to play come 1 o'clock on Sunday. Yep, and let's get into our keys to the game for the Colts' defense matching up with this Minnesota Vikings offense. And key number one, play physical in all three levels of the defense. The D-line was good last week. They could be better. The linebackers were virtually invisible, and the secondary was awful. We need to step up, we need to play physical, and we need to make plays in all three levels of the defense. Yeah, absolutely. They, they've got to play physical at all three levels, and that's a huge, huge part of what the Colts do. Last week was not what they want. This week, I, I would expect to see a lot more press coverage from the corners to allow for their, for their pass rush to get to the quarterback to get them off rhythm. So I expect a lot more bumping from the linebackers. I expect more pressure from the defensive line, and I expect better play from our corners as far as physically at the line of scrimmage. And honestly, our secondary was just absolutely awful last week. Outside of of Rock Yassin, everybody else played terrible. Rhodes was bad. Hooker was bad. Kari Willis wasn't great. Those guys have got to step up and play better in the secondary. I thought I thought their performance was terrible and le- left a lot to be desired. So they've got to come ready to play Sunday and be locked in because if they're not, this team will embarrass them. They've got, I mean, they've got great receivers, tight ends, running backs. They've got everything at every level. So the Colts have to be ready to play, and that starts with physical football at all three levels on defense. 
Key number two, create turnovers and make splash plays. Big issue for the Colts last week. We created zero turnovers defensively. We lost the turnover battle to zip. Plus, we had multiple turnover on downs offensively, and there were really no splash plays outside of a couple of sacks. We have to create turnovers and make splash plays this week in week two against the Vikes. Yeah, it kind of goes along with, with the, the first thing, and that's just being physical and getting after guys, gang tackling, stripping the ball, forcing Cousins to get rid of it off clock, not, not on time, you know, speeding up his rhythm, making him get rid of the ball tipping balls, you know, just gumming up the work, so to speak, making them speed their game up. And and the Colts have to take advantage of those opportunities when there's balls to be intercepted or balls are on the ground. They got to get on those and, and really make an effort to, to get some turnovers in this game and make some difference making plays because they just did not do that last week. And I think it obviously cost them the game. You saw Jacksonville make a couple of plays, and it really was the difference in the game. This week, the Colts have to come out focused on getting after this team, forcing some fumbles, forcing some bad throws, and making the plays when they're there. They need to do that. They need to get back into that thing that they were doing in 2018 when they were forcing a lot of turnovers. They need to get back you know, their mojo back when it comes to that stuff. So that's something that's very important for this game and something that I think could shift the game one way or the other, obviously. Yeah, and we didn't even have opportunities. We didn't have any strips that were on the ground and we weren't able to come up with. We didn't even have any jump balls. Our Gardner didn't throw anything up that was even pickable. He went 19 for 20, and then the only incompletion hit the receiver in the hands. Kenny Moore was behind the play. He made a comeback. He batted the ball away, and then Leonard lit him up from in front. So we didn't even have an opportunity to pick off a pass last week. There was no like, oh, we almost came down that ball or a tip drill ball or a fumble that was on the ground and we just didn't come up with or it bounced the wrong way. We didn't even have opportunities last week to create turnovers. So this week, we need to at least see some opportunities where we have a chance to pick off a pass or we have a chance to scoop and score or do anything like that with the ball on the turf in week two. And we all know that Kirk Cousins is prone to throwing up a ball or two that's up for grabs that we have to come down with this week, which we just did not see in week one against the Jags. And then key number three, constant pressure. From start to finish, constantly get in the backfield, constantly put pressure on Kirk Cousins. Last week we had the four sacks, but outside the four sacks, we didn't put a ton of pressure on Minshew. It seemed to be all or nothing up front. We need to put constant pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, this is the key that kind of ties everything together. They, they've got to be consistent in their pressure of the quarterback for all four quarters. There can't be a quarter off. There can't be a quarter where they just don't get to the quarter. They've got to be consistent in getting in his face all game long. If they do that, and it's and again, I'm a proponent of pressure, not necessarily sacks. I love sacks. Sacks are great, especially strip sacks. But I'm also a big proponent of pressure for four quarters and not allowing a guy to get into a rhythm. If you can get consistent pressure on this guy, he will 100% give you chances to pick balls off. He will definitely give this defense a chance to make plays. So the, the, the biggest key in this game, outside of everything else that we've mentioned, is consistent pressure from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. If they do that, they will get turnovers and if they get turnovers, it'll be a lot easier to win this game. So for me, consistent four-quarter pressure on Kirk Cousins is the biggest key to this game, and it's, to me, the key that will sway this game one way or the other. Because if we don't get to him and he has time, it could be a real long day for our Colts. I think when you look at last week's matchup with Minshew and this week's matchup, with Cousins, if you were to put no pressure on either quarterback, I think Cousins is the better quarterback. But then once you put pressure on Cousins, I do think he's more prone to make mistakes and have one of those gunslinger just throw the ball up mentalities. So got to put pressure on him. If you put pressure on him, it's going to lead, like you said, to those other keys. And he'll throw balls up for grabs, and you'll have opportunities to create turnovers, and you'll have opportunities to make plays in all three levels to the defense. Yeah, one other thing I want to mention before we move on to the Vikings defense is uh, Pat Elfine, the really good guard for the Vikings, is out this week, which means DeForest Buckner is going to be going up against a backup guard. That is a matchup to watch. That is a matchup that the Colts can take advantage of. That's a huge development in this game and something that I think fans should look for. 
Taking a look now at the Minnesota Vikings defense, who's coming off a performance where they just gave up 43 points. You know they're not happy. This has been a good defense in years past. They're going to want to get back on the right track in week two, so you know they're going to come in hungry. And this is a defense led by 2019 first-team All-Pro linebacker Eric Kendricks, who had a great season last year with 12 passes defended, a pair of forced fumbles, a pair of fumble recoveries, over 100 tackles, and four tackles for loss. A really solid player leading this Minnesota Vikings defense into Week 2. Yeah, they've got some really stout players on this defense. You talked about Kendricks. They've also got Anthony Barr, who's a very good linebacker. You look at their safety tandem, Harris and Harrison Smith are both big-time players at safety. They've got some good young corners, Mike Hughes, Cam Dantzler, Holton Hill and and the rookie to watch for me, Jeff Gladney, cornerback out of TCU, very good player, uh, young player. Uh, they've got players at every level. And the thing I would, uh, the, the guy that always worries me when we play his teams is Ngakwe. He didn't do much last week, but he's going to play a lot this week. And that's the guy, man. I mean, they don't have Hunter Everson Griffin signed with, I think, Dallas. So he's not there anymore. And they, it, so, their, their defense is, is, is different. It struggled in week one. They brought in Dom Capers, who's a, a very good 3-4 coach, but the Vikings run a 4-3. So, and I haven't watched a lot of the film on them, so I don't know if they're working with some kind of hybrid right now where they're, you know, on some downs they're playing a 3-4 and on some downs they're playing a 4-3. But I do know this, whether – Ngakwe's lined up outside or lined up at defensive end, you've got to get him blocked. He will wreck a game. He's wrecked plenty of games that we've played. So for me, key number one on this, you know, on this, when I look at this defense, the guy that stands out to me, Kendrick's obviously big time player, probably the best player on their defense, but Ngakwe has been a thorn in our side for years. So we've got to get him blocked. Let's take a look at the keys to the game now for the Colts offense going up against this Minnesota defense. Key number one, run the damn ball. I think it's self-explanatory. You look at the 2019 Colts, you look at the week one 2020 Colts, we kind of abandoned the run in the second half of that game, a game where we led up until the final two possessions. There was no need to put the pressure on Phillip Rivers. There was no need to throw 46 passes in that game. Be more balanced and run the damn ball. Yeah, absolutely, and I think this is going to be a, a fun game for Jonathan Taylor and hopefully Jordan Wilkins. I think they both should get their share of carries in this game. Um, Minnesota really struggled defensively last week, both against the run and the pass, but for the Colts to do what they want to do offensively, they've got to establish the run, and that starts with getting Taylor the ball and not giving up on it when it doesn't work right away. They've got to stay with it. That's the key to having a good running game. You can't get impatient. You have to stay with it, stay patient, because the Colts will break a run in this game. I promise you. If they stay with this running game, they will break one to the house. It might be Taylor. It might be Wilkins for 50. Who knows? But they will break a run if they stay patient in this game. Key number two, limit turnovers and penalties, especially in the red zone. Last week, Phillip Rivers, two costly interceptions. We had a Jack Doyle penalty in the red zone that backed us up. We had, this wasn't in the red zone, but we had a taunting penalty on the sideline after a first down run by Paris Campbell, flexing in a defender's face. There's no need for that. Clean up the penalties and don't turn over the football. Always a huge importance to, to not turning the ball over and getting penalties. The Colts got re repetitive penalties last week, lining up incorrectly, not, you know, not covering the tackle, just stupid penalties, the one you mentioned with Paris Campbell. But they also self-destructed in, in the red zone, and they can't do that in this game. They've got to make sure when they get in the red zone they play their best football and, and find a way to get points. I mean, they did. They, there were times in that game last week where they got inside the red zone and didn't get any points. So they've got to get every, – every trip to the red zone this week has to result in points fully in touchdowns, which leads us to key number three. And key number three is score touchdowns in the red zone. Absolutely. Got to get in the end zone. This week, this team needs to make a statement. They, they've got to get in the end zone. Whenever they get close, they've got to get it in, figure it out, find a way, and get a win in this game. They've got to make sure once they get inside the red zone, that they don't self-destruct. They do what they need to do, and they need and, and run the ball, 
you know, mix it up, use the backs, do what you do. You don't forget to use the tight ends, you know, and open it up and find a way to get in the end zone. I'll tell you what, man, this Minnesota secondary is extremely young and they got lit up last week. So the Colts can throw the ball on this team. Now I'm not saying throw it 46 times, but what I am saying is if you establish the run, it makes throwing a lot easier because they're going to bring that extra guy up to stop the run. And that leaves that secondary who's extremely young back there kind of isolated so the Colts really need to establish the run which will lead to open passing lanes and an easier job for Phillip Rivers to throw the ball yeah and I'll just add this could be key number four or in addition to key number three stop leaving so many points on the field we talk about Frank Reich and his aggressive nature and how much we love how aggressive he is because we had a five six year span with a coach who was so unaggressive, it was always punt on fourth and one. It was always kick on fourth and one. It was always a conservative style of football. And he was so extreme to the one side. Now, even though we love the aggressive nature of Frank Reich, it does start to feel like he might be a little bit too extreme to the other side. Sometimes you have to have a feel for the game. You have to have a feel for the direction of the game. And sometimes that fourth and one, even if it's a... 21-yard field goal, sometimes it is worth taking the points there and going up by 10. So you have to have a feel for the game, and you don't want to leave as many points out there on the field as we have over the last couple years under this regime. Love this coaching staff. I would never say that Frank Reich is Chuck Pagano, and I've seen that comparison made on Twitter. I think those people are nuts. But you got to have a feel for the game, and you don't want to leave points on the field, especially when you make a routine of it. If you leave three points out there last week, then you leave four points out there this week, then you leave eight points out there next week, then you leave seven points, it adds up. And points are so important, you can't be leaving them on the field as much as we have been. So I think I would just add that if you have an opportunity to kick the field goal, it's not the worst thing in the world. Even if you're tempted on fourth and one, sometimes you just have to have a feeling. You say, you know what, if we go up 10 here, it's going to be very difficult for them to come back and beat us. 14 nothing would be great, but 10 nothing's automatic. And then that also goes for Blankenship missing field goals and all that stuff, which I guess would be a special team's key to the game. Just stop leaving points on the field. 30-yard field goal, you got to make a 30-yard field goal. 100% agree, Luke. I couldn't have said it better. There's no excuse to miss 30-yard field goals. Look, if you're, if you're up 7 nothing, and you've got the ball inside the 5-yard line, and, and, I mean, you can kick the field goal and go up 10 nothing, and really give yourself some room or you can go for it, but you, you cannot, in my opinion, run a, a dive play with the smallest guy you have. I, I, I mean, we've gone over the play call. I was not a fan of it. The personnel grouping was not a fan of that either. I'm cool with the aggressiveness. I was not cool with the personnel. And I would have, if, if, if I'm going, you know, if you give me hindsight, knowing that that was going to be the personnel grouping, I would have taken the three points. Mm-hmm. Now, Hines also has to have the vision to cut it back inside, but then, again, that goes and plays right back into the personnel grouping. Because you had a running back in there who's not usually running between the tackles, he's not used to it, that's not really his game, it changes everything because now it's like, all right, yes, he could have cut it back inside, but you can't expect that out of a running back who doesn't normally get too many carries down there inside the five yards. So if you have Mack or you have, who obviously we won't have this point moving forward, but if you have Mack, if you have Taylor, if you have Wilkins, those are guys who are going to be a little bit more patient. They're going to be able to see those holes, and they're going to be able to cut it back up inside. I'm sure Hines is pissed at himself, and he's going to learn from that, and the next time he's in that situation, hopefully he knows to cut it inside, go right, and walk it into the end zone. And Hines still had a really good game. I had, I saw we had one comment last week saying, how could you be mad at Hines? He scored two touchdowns. He was one of the bright spots. It wasn't about that. It was just about that play. I mean, Hines did have a good game. Hines and Autry, I mean, there was a few bright spots in the week one. And I was, and Luke, I was never mad at Hines. No. I was disappointed in Reich for the personnel grouping. Yeah. That's not Hines' game. No, like, no. When I you mean, put- everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and Hines has many, many strengths. That just happens to not be one of them. Right, and I would never blame him. I would never blame a player 
for not succeeding at something that they're not good at. That's just not, I mean, that's just not his thing. That's where, where the issue that we had with Reich, we talked about on the, on the post game, like it just didn't make sense to use that player with that play. Look, Hines played his ass off. He was the bright spot in that game. He was unbelievable. I have nothing bad to say about him. That whole fourth and one debacle, I don't even put on him. I put on, I put that on Reich. So my issue was never with Hines. It was with Reich putting him in more of a position to fail than a position to succeed. Yeah, and I'm sure the play is designed to run directly behind Quentin Nelson. That hole might have opened up by accident, to be honest. Like, that might have been an accidental hole that opened up because the Jaguars sniffed out where we were going with the ball, and because he was locked in on where he was supposed to go, he's not even looking to score. He's looking to pick up that one yard, which is another reason why you rather have a big back in there and you rather have your 210 or your 230 in there so you could barrel forward and get that yard. And because the play was designed to run behind Quinn Nelson and Nelson lost his one-on-one matchup, that's also extremely rare. And you have to hold Nelson accountable too because Nelson should win that matchup. And then, of course, I think the biggest problem was the personnel in the backfield because even if Nelson loses that matchup, you much rather have an extra 35, 40 pounds on your back in Taylor going through that hole because when you're running behind Nelson, even if he loses that matchup, it's going to be much more difficult to get Taylor to the ground than Hines to the ground. But, hey, it's one play. It's one game. We lost the game. you got to move on. you got to look at this game. And that's why these keys are to erase mistakes we made last week to not make those same mistakes again this week. So, Big key to the game, score when you're in the red zone, score when you're inside the 10-yard line, inside the 5-yard line, put 7 on the board, and don't miss kicks, and don't leave points on the field. When you leave points on the field, especially against a Minnesota team who is also capable of putting up points themselves, they scored 30 last week, they still lost because they gave up 40. Don't leave points on the field. I think it's a basic, I think it's a simple key, but when you look at last week's game, it's got to be a key this week. Colts cannot leave points on the field. Let's get into our predictions now, Jason. A huge week for the Colts, big bounce-back week, but you could say for both teams because it's also a big bounce-back week for the Vikings as both teams come in 0-1. Absolutely, and based on my wonderful prediction of the Colts winning last week and how that turned out, I'm going back to my famed never-pick-the-Colts-to-win-a-game logic because I'm bad luck, and I, despite how I feel in my heart, am going to pick the Minnesota Vikings to win this game Thank by you. four points. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> sure Everybody listening now too. except Viking fans are so happy that you did that. Last week, I was nervous heading into the game because you picked the Colts, but now that you picked against the Colts, I feel better. Now that you picked against the Colts, I think I am pretty confident in my pick, and I'm going to go with the Colts winning this game by three points. I'll go 27-24. I think it's going to be a close game. Do not want to see Phillip River turnovers down the stretch. He has to take care of the football. If he takes care of the football, if we run the damn ball, I think we take care of business. I think we sneak out with a win. I do not think it'll be easy. I do think you helped us out there, Jason, by picking against the Colts. And I got to give you some credit because you picked the Jags to win week one back in our way too early prediction in April when the schedule came out. Then... For some reason, you switched opinions, I guess, because it was just looking so obvious heading into week one. They traded Ngakwe, who's never going to play anyway, to the Vikings, ironically, who we play this week. They cut Leonard Fournette. It just seemed like they were going in the tank. It seemed like they had nothing to play for except to play to lose to go get Trevor Lawrence next year with the first pick. So it just felt like there was no chance that the Jags were going to be able to come into that week one game and beat us. Of course they do. You have to give them credit for doing that. But this is a big bounce back week for the Colts. It's a home game without that home game feel. Only 2,500 fans. But I think we come home. I think we get the job done. I think T.Y. steps up. Another key to the game, hold on to the ball. The receivers have to catch the ball, especially T.Y. He's a leader. Close game, which I think this will be down the stretch. If the Colts are down by three, down by four on that final drive, catch the ball. You have to catch the ball. T.Y. is a leader on this team. He's a captain of this offense. He has to catch the ball. you got to move the chains. We had four drops in that game. Phillip Rivers threw 46 passes. He has to throw less passes this week. 
We have to run the ball more. We have to run the ball more effectively, more efficiently. And then receivers, when they have opportunities, they have to catch the ball. I think T.Y. is going to feast this game. We talked about the young corners for the Minnesota Vikings. This is teeing up for a perfect opportunity for a revenge game for T.Y. Hillen. And also, what about a revenge game for Xavier Rhodes? He was awful in week one. He now has an opportunity to go up against his old team that didn't want him, didn't think he was worth the money. This is a big revenge game also for Xavier Rhodes going up against his old squad. Absolutely. And one other thing I'd point out about this series, and I always like to get into the to the history of two teams, the Colts are 5-0. and against the Minnesota Vikings since 2000. So we've got that going for us. So, you know, there's a lot of positives going into this game, and I'm, I'm excited to see how the Colts play. I think T.Y. is going to have a bounce-back game. I think you're going to see the running game get on track. It's going to be a fun game. I think, I think it could be high-scoring, but then again, you never know. The NFL's weird. You think you're going to get a high-scoring game, and then you get a game in the team. So it'll be fun to watch. But uh, definitely excited. We've got to get a win, get that taste back in our mouth, and uh, and then we got the Jets coming in next week. So definitely want to get a win this week and play a hell of a lot better than we did last week and get that put that game in the rear view. Yeah, definitely got to get that winning taste back in our mouth. And although we are 0-3 in Week 1s under Frank Reich, we're also 3-0 and in Week 2. So every time we've dropped that Week 1 game, we've bounced back and we've had a solid performance top to bottom in Week 2. So that's what I expect again. I expect to bounce back. I expect to win this game. And I expect to even things up 500, 1-1 to start the year with a couple really favorable matchups before we get to Baltimore. That Baltimore game will be tough, but we have teams like the Jets, like the Bears. We have very winnable games after this. And I know we lost a very winnable game last week, but it was week one. It is what it is. It's behind us. You win this week, and you're looking at a couple really winnable games before that Baltimore game, which will be a tough game, but also a great test to see where this Colts team is about halfway through the year. And Jason, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the All-22 you watched. It came out late, and the NFL has to do a better job with that All-22. you got to get that up Monday, Tuesday, the latest. To come out on a Thursday for a game on a Sunday, it's a little bit ridiculous, especially when people are paying for that game pass to watch the All-22s. But I know you watched it yesterday, and you had a couple of thoughts on it. Well, yeah, I've got I've got a bunch of thoughts. First of all, I was absolutely wrong about the defensive line, which I mentioned earlier in the preview, because all I saw was the uh, the TV copy until Thursday. Usually, it comes out on Tuesday. The All Twenty Two. For some reason, it came out on Thursday this week. So, I watched, you know, and I went back and I watched it, and the D line was active, and they they were fine. There was no like no no problems there. They they did not get dominated. They played well. I was wrong in my initial assumption about them but more than that i've been listening to a lot of people and seeing a lot of things on twitter about defensive coordinator matt eberflus and his defense and his scheme and how bad it is and how he should be fired and how you know he's terrible at his job and he's not a good coach i would like to ask the people that actually believe that were you a Colts fan from 2012 to 2017? Did you watch any of those defenses at all? Because let me tell you something. As bad as Matt Eberflus's defense was on Sunday, it was still better than 90% of the shit we put on the field in those five or six years that Chuck Pagano was here. Now, my bigger issue is these people that are talking about this scheme don't know what they're watching. They don't know what they're talking about. They think it's a simple Tampa 2, that's all he plays, and that's not true. They disguise. They mix things up. It's, it's a defense where the principles are that of a zone, but they play man. They do a lot of different things, okay? I think a lot of people that, that live in Indianapolis – get their views of this defense and their opinions of this defense from a man named Rick Venturi. Rick Venturi was a head coach who was 348-1. Let me say it again. 
348 and one, and seems to have some sort of personal vendetta against Matt Eberflus, which I don't understand. He refers to him as a junior high gym coach, a junior high defense, all this, all this nonsense that doesn't even need to be said. You can be critical of a defense and not be critical of the person that's running it in a, in a, in a personal insult kind of way. But for some reason, Rick Venturi loves to say that. This guy never won anything, anything. He was bad as a coordinator. His record as a coordinator, I think, was 53-107. and 107. His teams were 53-107 and 107 when he was the defensive coordinator, 348-1 when he was the head coach. What does Rick Venturi – and also, Rick Venturi's defenses were primarily 3-4 defenses. What does he know about a 4-3 defense zone – that he's never coached he doesn't know what he's talking about listen folks I'll give you this the Colts didn't play well on Sunday and the defense did not look good but the scheme is fine it's the players in the scheme that have to make plays I don't care what kind of scheme you play if the players don't make plays it doesn't matter the Colts defense is fine it's the same defense that shut out the Cowboys. It's the same defense that shut down the Chiefs. It's the same defense that shut down the Texans twice. I can go on and on. It's not the scheme. It's the players. They have to make plays. Malik Hooker has to show up, okay? Darius Leonard has to play better. Anthony Walker has to play better. Our corners, especially Xavier Rhodes, has got to play better. That is the problem. I went back. I watched the All-22. Our secondary was a disgrace. We did not do a good job in the secondary. And that was the problem in that game, not the scheme. Please, Colts fans, draw your opinion from All-22 film, from watching film. Do not parrot what you hear on 107.5 because all those guys that are on that station, all they do is is take what Rick Venturi says and talk it like it's gospel. And the guy is a certified loser when it comes to football. I know that's harsh, but that's the reality. The man never won shit. He doesn't know anything about winning football or winning defense or the defense that Matt Eberflus runs. He's never even spoken to Matt Eberflus. So my message to Rick Venturi and all of his minions is to just shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, and until you actually speak to the man, keep your disrespectful comments to yourself and keep it professional. That's all I got. Jason, very well said. People will probably be upset with it, but I don't care. Very well said. And when you watch the pregame shows, the postgame shows on Fox, on CBS, on NFL Network, on any of these other local stations. If you look at any other local broadcast, you have winning coaches. You have championship coaches doing pregames, postgame, halftime show. But then you look at a guy like Rick Venturi. Not only is he not a championship winning coach, not only is he not a playoff winning coach, 3-48-1 Never beat, in any of those three games, never beat a team over 500. Never sniffed the playoffs. The fact that this guy has the platform he has in Indianapolis and people respect him the way they respect him, 348-1, and you coached for three years in Northwestern, and then local media in Indianapolis will tell you, oh, but that Northwestern team he coached, was a underfunded program. Okay, well, three years before he got there, they won five games. The three years he was there, they won one game. The three years after he left, they won five games. So they were underfunded all nine of those years, but they never suffered the way they suffered the three years he was there with the Saints, with the Colts, with Northwestern. The guy can't win, couldn't win as a D.C., couldn't win as a head coach. Awful coach. He's entitled to his opinions. But the fact that people listen to this guy and take his word like it's gospel is crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy. This guy's never won anything. I can't believe he has the platform. I can't believe he is the color commentator for the Colts. And this game was played in Jacksonville. He was calling the game from Lucas Oil Stadium. So I don't know what type of views he had. But when he's in the box, like this week, he's going to be in the press box. He's going to be watching the game. 
like it's all 22. And when he still has the opinions he has, when we might think he's right on a Sunday, and then you have four days, and whenever that all 22 comes out, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you really get to see how wrong he is. And it's incredible that this guy is one of the voices of the Indianapolis Colts. This guy should have nothing to do with the organization. This guy is 3-48-1. That is 52 weeks of football. That is if you had a plan to do something every week of a calendar year, all 52 weeks, and you failed 48 of the weeks, you had one week that was a push, and then you only succeeded three times. Imagine doing something for a full year, every single week of a year, and only being satisfied and only completing your goal three weeks out of an entire year. That just puts into perspective how insanely bad to just try to comprehend how bad Rick Venturi's coaching record is. It's unbelievable, and, and the craziest thing about it to me is these people in Indianapolis revere this guy like he's Vince Lombardi. Yeah, and everybody hates on Dan Dockich, and it makes sense why they do, but a lot of Dan Dockich's terrible takes come from Rick Venturi. Rick Venturi's the one who told him Jarrell Freeman is better than Darius Leonard. So now he's taking that and he's spewing it. So all these hot takes we hear on Sports Talk Radio in Indianapolis stem from this quote-unquote guru, this head coach, who is telling them these incredibly, ridiculously stupid things. It's like if if Hugh Jackson was like... uh... The, the go-to guy for, for Cincinnati <laughs> Bengal football. Or, or so, but even he had a 7-9 and nine record, I think, in Oakland. So, I mean, huge. I mean, so, I mean, it, look, the thing of it is, is he doesn't know Jack about a 4-3 defense. He doesn't know anything about Tampa 2. He doesn't know anything about the way the defense is run or how things are done. He doesn't know anything about any of that. And the reason why is, he, is because he doesn't even talk to the coach. He's never spoken to Matt Eberflus. He knows, like, Rick Venturi knows football. I will give him that. And I know he knows 3-4 defense, okay? But we run a 4-3, not a 3-4. And there is a ton of fundamental differences between running a 3-4 and a 4-3. And he acts like we play 100% zone, and our fan base believes now that we run 100% Tampa 2 zone. And that's not the case at all. We disguise things. We blitz. We play man. We press. We do a lot of things. You have to watch the All-22. So, in closing, I know I'm going to catch a lot of crap, and that's fine. I don't care. But I feel like Matt Eberflus is a good football coach, and he's catching an insane amount of crap from people, and I don't think it's fair or right. So, I'm going to stand up and say something because I know what bad – defensive football looks like i watched it from 2012 to 2017 we got blown out so many times gave up more than 50 points so many times and been beaten by more than 35 so many times it's like people is it groundhog's day did you forget all that Mm -hmm. some people need i mean you you need to just check yourself and realize how good we have it and Jason, it's the same thing with the quarterbacks. The Indy media kills Andrew Luck after a couple turnovers in a loss, even though he carried the Colts to even being competitive in that game. Then you have Jacoby Brissett, who cost the Colts five, six games last year. Is the reason we don't make the playoffs. The Indy media is quiet. Then last week, in week one, Phillip Rivers keeps us in the game. He throws 46 passes. The man is freaking 38 years old. Yes, he threw a couple boneheaded interceptions, and yes, it was one of the factors why we lost the game, and the media is killing him, and they're about to beat the drum for bring Jacoby back and start Jacoby, and you have this media that was critical to Andrew Luck. You have Kravitz writing for 13 years about how Peyton Manning was the biggest choke in the NFL. And then you have Andrew Luck, and they all they do is talk about his turnovers. Then you have Jacoby, and they're quiet, and they want him to be the starter going into 2020. And then you have Philip Rivers last week throw a couple of interceptions, and they're saying, oh, this isn't the guy. You know, he's not the guy for the job. It's a one-year rental. He was fine last week. Yes, he has to clean up the turnovers. You can't be on pace to throw... 32 interceptions, of course not. You have to clean that up. But it's just crazy. Like, the media is so off. And then you have this guy, Rick Venturi. And I'm not saying that I know more football than Venturi or you know football better than Rick Venturi. But 
if we're comparing Rick Venturi to Matt Eberflus, I'm going to take Matt Eberflus because you're in a result-driven business, and Matt Eberflus's results as a defensive court, forget about head coach for Rick, 348 and one Venturi, but if you just look at their defensive coordinator careers and you compare those records, it's a result-driven business, and Eberflus's results are point-blank better and like a lot better than Rick Venturi's results as a, as a defensive coordinator, not even as a head coach. Yeah, well, I, look, I looked at um, Venturi's his rankings as yardage and points scored against in his entire career. Matt Eberflus's first year in Indianapolis, he had better, he had a higher rating in both of those spots than Venturi had in all of the years that he coached defense in one year. Wow. That's all that I really need to say. That's, that, and he had an extremely young team. Leonard's a rookie. I yep. mean, you have so many rookies. You have a bunch of undrafted guys. You still have a little bit of that Pagano-Grigson DNA left on the roster. Yeah, so I, I never understood it. I never will understand it. But the scheme is not the problem. Last week, you could say the game plan for the scheme was an issue, but it wasn't as big of an issue as we thought before going back and watching the All-22. And yes, players need to make plays. And the beauty is, we do have the players. I don't doubt that after a bad game last week. We have the players. Leonard will be better than he was last week. Hopefully, Hooker will be better. He was really bad last week, so I can't really see him being worse, even though I don't think at this point he'll ever live up to the expectations we had in 2017. Moore will be better. Hopefully, Xavier Rhodes will be better. Rock was solid, but he'll continue to get better. So we have a bunch Luke, of guys that are going to get better and better. Luke, that's the guy. Rhodes is the guy. That's the guy that scares the crap out of me. He yeah. was awful last week. The Colts are going to have to do something with him where they roll coverage to his side. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it is astounding to me, and, and I love Chris Ballard, but it is astounding to me that we're carrying seven wide receivers, mm-hmm. seven linebackers, and we're not even looking – to add an extra boundary corner, outside corner. We have no depth, no, no depth out there. That That's astounding to me. Unless Julian Blackman comes in and plays the boundary. That's the, really the only, on the roster right now, the only shakeup you can make. And Marvell Tell opting out hurt us, but that was a month ago. That was two months ago. Ballard had yep. plenty of time. Waiver claims, maybe a trade. We have a bunch of guys. You look at seven linebackers, seven wide receivers. There's depth on this roster that could be traded for a depth corner. I'm sure there's a team with an extra corner that wants a receiver or wants a linebacker, and we could make a trade. And I love all 14. I love all seven wide receivers. I love all seven linebackers. I'm very happy that Matt Adams made this roster. So happy for Therese Fountain getting called out this week on the active 53-man. But seven Wide receivers? We didn't need a seventh wide receiver. You might not even need a sixth wide receiver. If Doolin doesn't help no. you on special teams, there's no reason to carry him, and then you could cut it down to five. But seven wide receivers with, you can make the argument, two boundary corners. You can make the argument because TJ Carey is so much better in the slot that he's not really a boundary corner. He's more of a slot corner, as is yep. Isaiah Rogers, as is Kenny Moore. And then right. you're left with, two boundary corners, we're dressing two tight ends, and we're not really even using Moali Cox, and then you have seven linebackers and all seven dressed last week, which I was shocked about. I didn't think there was a reason to dress all of them, and maybe that'll change when Blackman's active. And then the receivers, you're dressing six last week, all six, no, you you dressed five last week, Patman didn't dress, and now you add Fallon. So are you going to have two healthy scratch-wide receivers? What's the point of having them on the active roster? Yeah, it's crazy. Honestly, at this point, my biggest Rhodes is my biggest concern because he honestly on tape he looks washed. And if he's washed, you've got to. I mean, you don't really. I don't really want to move Kenny Moore outside because he's so good in the slot. He's so good in nickel, but Carey is just awful in space out there. So I mean, and Ballard has to see this. So. I mean, I think he's going to give Rhodes. You know, he's going to give him the first month to show what he can do. But man, they're, they're, these other teams are going to be picking up. I mean, guys like Ross Ross Cockrell and and Amukamora, who I don't think is is necessarily the the answer. But I mean, you need some kind of depth out there, and we just don't have it. So 
Uh, I really hope Chris Ballard gets on that sooner than later because honestly, it's making our it's making Matt Eberflus's job a lot more difficult when he's probably going to have to roll coverage to roadside because he's just so bad over there. Yeah. And I think on a positive note, though, sometimes you need a spark. I thought last year it was a spark for Justin Houston playing against the Chiefs, going up against your old team. They don't want you anymore after all the blood, sweat, and tears you gave them for X amount of years. And then I thought after that Chief game, he woke up and he was better the rest of the year. He wasn't necessarily bad the first month before we played the Chiefs, but that woke him up and it lit a spark and it ignited something in him. And it even carried over to week one of this year. So he has shown he's not done. I never really feared he was done the way I fear right now with Xavier Rhodes. But the point is sometimes going up against your old team could reignite that now if you're done you're done sometimes like if you don't have the footwork if you don't have the closing speed like if you don't have it you don't have it sometimes especially at that position because corners I think their lifespan is a little bit shorter that's why you see them move to safety when they get older and then defensive end we had Mathis come on the podcast and say that he believes Justin Houston is just now hitting his prime and we saw that with Mathis because he was great in the Dungy era and then he had his best year after we switched schemes when he was probably 33, 34 years old playing for Grigson and Pagano. And he was well into, you know, 10 plus years into his career at that point. And he said that pass rushers hit their prime at 30, 31, 32. And I think we're seeing that with Justin Houston right now. But the point is. With Xavier Rhodes, you're going up against your old team. You're going up against a team who didn't want you anymore, didn't think you were worth the money and let you go. So hopefully he comes out this week, plays with that chip on his shoulder, has a really solid performance, and is able to build off of that now moving forward where he gets his confidence back, he gets his swagger back, and he's able to play at a high enough level where he's not a liability. You don't have to be a shutdown corner. You don't have to be 2016 All-Pro Xavier Rhodes. You don't have to be the player you once were, but can you be a formidable player? Can you just not be a liability for us? That's really what we're asking at this point. Don't be a liability where maybe here and there we have to roll coverage to your side, but if we're doing it every down, if we're doing it every series, if we're doing it multiple times, you know, that's where the issue really lies, where it's all game long and it's every game. And then it's like, all right, this guy's a liability because he's making us, you know, a one-look team. Yeah, my, just keep him away from Adam Thielen, for God's sake. Don't let them any. Don't let those two people be anywhere near each other because that is a recipe for embarrassment and disaster. Uh, Adam Thielen's one of the quickest guys in the league, and Xavier Rhodes is is not. So, uh, hopefully, the Colts will keep him away from Adam Thielen, and uh, we can avoid that embarrassment because that's uh, that is not a matchup that I want any part of. Nope. <laughs> All right, Jason, let's wrap it up. Closing thoughts, week two, Colts-Vikings. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Colts' defense is going to play a lot better this week. It, it, I mean, they have to, and I think they will. I think you're going to see the running game come back into form. I think Taylor's going to have a nice game. I think Hilton's going to have a nice game. I think it's going to be a great football game and uh, an exciting one for Colt fans. And, and I, I you, you guys heard my prediction. I'm not going to say how I really feel because I don't want to jinx anything. But I, no, I you do really think it's feel, be Jason. Really... You really feel like the Colts are going to lose this game. We need you to feel like that. Uh, okay, the Colts are going to lose, but I, I do think it's going to be a great football game. Yeah, I think the Colts are going to win this game. I think that T.Y. is going to have a big bounce-back performance. I think the defense is going to play better. But I also think the Vikings' defense is going to play better than they played last week. Last week they had a 40-30 game. We had a 20-20 game, 27-20. So I think that it'll probably be in that ballpark. I think it'll be in the 27-20 ballpark. But you could give up 20 points. Like the Colts gave up 27 last week. 10 were off turnovers. But you could give up 20 points in a game and have a much better performance than you had last week. I do not want to see Kirk Cousins go 24 for 25 against us. I want to see the defense force a couple incompletions. I want to see more pressure on the quarterback. I want to see us cause a couple turnovers, and I think we will in this game. I think we're going to get at least one or two turnovers. 
I think the offense is going to cut down the turnovers from two to one or hopefully zero in this game. And I think we're going to win the turnover battle. I think we're going to win the game. And also, you look at last week, we moved the ball. We just did not get in the end zone as much as we would have liked. And we didn't get in the end zone at all in the second half. That has to change. I think it will change. I think the Colts win this game. I'm going 27-24 to start off 1-1 one and one on the season. And the Vikings falling to 0-2 on the season. I know we won't be talking too much about them for the rest of the year. But they still play every team in our division. We'll be rooting for them in those games. And they're going to need to bounce back. Whatever team loses this game is going to really need to bounce back. And they will be in a must-win game in Week 3. I wouldn't say this is a must-win game for the Colts or the Vikings, but if either team, one team has to drop this game, most likely, I mean, you could have a tie, but most likely one team drops this game, the loser of this game must win in week three. I'm not sure who the Vikes have. Hopefully they have somebody in our division because that's going to be a must-win game for them. We have the Jets week three. If we were to drop this game, that's going to become a must-win game. And I think you have to beat the Jets anyway because they're the Jets and you really don't want to lose at home to the Jets. Losing to the Jags on the road and losing at home to the Jets would be a really tough way to start off the season no matter what happens against the Minnesota Vikings. And also, guys, just got an update while we were doing the show that Jack Doyle is ruled out for this Sunday's game against the Vikes. So no Jack Doyle, which means Noah Tungai is going to dress for the first time and make his NFL debut. And then we're going to put a lot now on Moali Cox's plate. We wanted to see Cox play more snaps regardless. Now he's going to have to without Jack Doyle available on Sunday. So big blow to the Colts, but opportunities now for other guys like Moali Cox and Noah Tungai to step up and fill that void. We were already thin there. We don't have Trey Burton. So now we're down our top two tight ends. And Mo Ali Cox is going to have to step up. And he's going to have to play big. Not only blocking, but also in the receiving game as well. as our number one option tight end going into this week two matchup with the Minnesota Vikings. That's my man Jason Spears. I'm your host Luke Diamond. Guys, enjoy the game on Sunday. And we'll be back Sunday night to wrap it up right here on the For the Culture Podcast. <laughs>